The question we've all asked. One of the most sought-after moments in comics. It's the argument every fan of superheroes have had since they were kids. Who is the better Martha? On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, major Superman fan, Laramie Wells, and joining me today is a huge Batman fan, Blake Fowler. Deja vu all over again, man. What's going on? Uh, it's going well. Those of you who've listened to previous episodes know that Blake was with me for our Batman Forever episode. And so Blake is the first in these full episodes. Blake is the first guest host to make a repeat appearance. Hi. Again, yeah, like I said, uh, just uh, wanting to get on here as much as I can. And anytime we discuss Batman v Superman, I have to join the conversation. Yeah, so again, I'm a huge Superman fan. Blake is a huge Batman fan. And so I just thought it was fitting for the two of us to uh, get together to talk about uh, this wonderful movie. Uh, Yeah. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. All right. So um, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was released uh, March 25th in 2016. It, of course, was the follow-up to 2013's Man of Steel, which was the rebirth of the DCEU, the DC Universe. The funny thing was, it was actually teased back in 2001 in the Will Smith movie I Am Legend. The connection there is that writer-producer... Uh, Goldsmith, I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce his first name, he was actually originally connected with the script for a Batman-Superman movie, and so he was also the writer for I Am Legend, and so they threw that in just as a nod, but who would have knew that 15 years later we would have the movie with pretty much the same logo? Uh, So like a super cool little Easter egg hidden in there with I Am Legend, and then to to hear you talking about it and to have done a little research on it myself. Just a, a cool little nod to, like you said, I'm not going to try and pronounce his first name, but a cool little, little nod to some people. Yeah. So this was, again, the follow-up to Man of Steel. So we already had Henry Cavill playing Superman. He returns. Um, and then we're joined by the DC Trinity, Batman and Wonder Woman. Of course, Wonder Woman was originally Finally. a surprise. Yeah. One of them was originally a surprise, but um, let's go ahead and get into the characters and start talking about this. And we will start off with, because it is Batman v Superman, and even though it is a loose sequel to Man of Steel, this really is a Batman movie. Uh, the memes are the best, though, where it's like Superman staring at Batman, and he's like, this is my movie, why is your name first? Because it was supposed to be that sequel follow-up to Man of Steel, but... Anytime you got the bat involved, uh, sells the most comics, sells the most merchandise. It's got to be the headliner. Kills the most uh, Waynes. Um, oh, yikes. Oh, we'll get there in a minute. We'll get there. So <laughs> this is, of course, is the first time we've seen Batman on the big screen since Christian Bale played him in the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, amazing set of movies there, which uh, we definitely will be talking about in future episodes. This time he is the cape and cowl is donned by Ben Affleck. Very controversial decision, especially considering his run as Daredevil back in the early 2000s. Just like Voldemort, those we do not speak of, he who should not be named, we don't talk about the Daredevil movies here. You know, and the thing is, even though Ben Affleck kind of says the same thing, that he regrets playing Daredevil, 
This movie has a similar aspect. There is a director's cut of Daredevil. And if you watch that director's cut, it is significantly a better movie. I'm a little partial. Daredevil was the first comic book that I ever read, so I kind of have this uh, sentimental connection to Daredevil. I didn't mind the movie. Comparatively with what's been released since, no, it doesn't hold up. But at the time, while the Marvel movies were kind of new and fresh, I enjoyed it. I think it probably does get a bad rap now with the Daredevil TV series having done so well. Everybody, I think, kind of holds it up to to that. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Maybe it was Jennifer Garner for me that just ruined the whole thing. I couldn't really deal. That's an, for another time and place. Yeah, that's another episode. I will say that Ben Affleck, not a horrible Batman, but he is a really good Bruce Wayne. Again, probably a better Bruce Wayne than than Christian Bale for sure than than Michael Keaton. I, I believed him when he's on screen as Bruce Wayne. I'm like, this guy is a multi billionaire who's hiding a secret identity and doing it with uh, a lot of booze and pills. Yeah, uh, the the scene at Lex's party where he is trying to steal the computer files and whatnot. I mean that 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 was very Bruce Wayne and I would. Never really saw a lot of that side of Bruce Wayne, to my knowledge, in a lot of the other movies. You're right. I think the first time um, Diana Prince walks by, he's talking with Clark, and he gets distracted, and he covers it with, oh, pretty girl, bad habit, sorry. And that's just like such a Bruce Wayne cover thing to say and do. Now, of course, if we're going to introduce Batman, that means we have to kill his parents. And so we do open the movie with the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Uh, I want to point it out, though, because I do think this is one of the better ways that has been shot. Uh, I honestly, the the way they shot it where the Joe Chill, even though he's never named in this movie, where Joe Chill wraps the necklace around the gun. Yeah, the, the pearls her... around the gun was a pretty cool shot. Yeah, it, it's not very practical, because if you really think <laughs> about it, that means that gun was like pretty much in her mouth in order for that to work, but it's a good visual. It, it was a cool thing, and can I just say, all hail Zack Snyder, emperor of the slow motion shot. Yeah. It, I don't know that anybody does better. I mean, Michael Bay wishes he was the Zack Snyder of slow motion shots. Uh, John Woo has a good crack at that. Huh, okay, okay, not going to argue with you there, but yeah, and that's one of the things that kind of was the good and the bad double-edged sword because almost everything that was of importance he decided to do in slow-mo yeah so a little annoying there but uh, uh, the as far as the murder of the waynes which at this point in time is kind of like the murder of ben parker to me a little overdone this was done very well yes a good execution if you will and even though we are jumping into a Batman who has, this is not an origin story, he's been Batman for, I think they established like 20-something years. Mm, right. It had to be there because at the very end of the scene, we see Thomas Wayne say Martha, which of course would be a key moment to come later into the story. And watching it again, and this is the third or fourth time I've watched it, but it's the first time where I was really paying attention, I think, to that scene, and I realized why the later on Martha makes so much sense and why it riles Batman up. Yeah. So then we jump ahead 
it is now the fight between Superman and Zod from Man of Steel, but now we are seeing it from Bruce Wayne's point of view as Ben Affleck is racing towards one of his uh, buildings, uh, talking to a guy on the phone, trying to tell him to get everybody out. Uh, very heroic scene for just Bruce Wayne. You know, he's going against traffic. There's even the part where he runs out and while everybody's running one way, he's running the other way and running into the big plume of smoke when buildings are collapsing. So I do, I was going to say, I do have one, the first thing, he can't have a better car set up than a Jeep Renegade Trailhawk edition. I know he steals the security guy's car, but as Bruce yeah. Wayne, I expect him to have cars everywhere. Which leads me to my second point. Why not just go as Batman? Well, I think it was because it was so immediate and it was so, you know, out of the blue that perhaps he was not in a place or he knew that he didn't have time to get. Because he's not, again, he's not like Superman. He can't just, you know, all of a sudden be in costume. Uh, And the costume that we definitely see uh, Ben Affleck sport could not be a costume he's wearing underneath his clothes. Right. True, true. If He should have taken a page out of uh, Val Kilmer's book and just had tunnels connecting everything. Maybe he'd have been yeah. better off. Of course, this does give us our connection as to why, why Batman and Superman need to fight each other. Bruce sees this destruction. He sees these godlike characters. And it's almost like they're fighting without any care of the innocent and the citizens. And of course, it makes him angry. Now, whether or not this is how Batman should be is what we're going to kind of get into as this episode goes along, but that is the catalyst. You know, that is what starts this off, is that this is a bitter, angry, old, tired, and very much haunted, as we see, Batman. I was going to go with curmudgeonly, Um, but yeah, you, you covered it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we see him taking pills that we know is from the aches and pains of being Batman, uh, possibly even taking them to help with his hauntings, his visions, his nightmares. Uh, The first one we do see is when he's visiting his parents' tomb. Uh, We do see the name Martha, again, very predominant in that dream. They're making sure you know her name. uh, Yeah, and so we do have that. We are then introduced, and that's being introduced to Bruce Wayne, we're then introduced to Batman in a scene that was very reminiscent of Batman Year One. Almost shot for shot. You know about a moving panel? Year One, that's all you can see when you watch that, if, if you know the comics. Yeah. And it's it's such a cool introduction for Batman in the movie, just him hanging there on the wall. But it gets a, it gets a little weird for me. It, uh, it does. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, when he surprises the cop, and the cop starts shooting, Batman somehow is moving around the ceiling and the walls like he is this this super-powered, supernatural being, um, which made no <laughs> sense to me whatsoever. He goes full Spider-Man across the ceiling. Yeah, it, I, I don't know if maybe he's got some tactical gloves and boots that are allowing him to, to hold on and latch on the ceiling and move like that. But to be so old and so war-torn, he moves really well. Yeah, and... So we, we get, and of course, it this does set up where we see the the women that were in the basement of this building, that clearly they were there because they were being, I, I would assume, trafficked by... Human, human trafficking. Yeah, human yeah. trafficking going on. 
but even they were terrified of Batman, who was there to save them, which sets up something that I really don't think plays out in the theatrical version. We'll we'll talk about later. There is uh, an ultimate edition, an extended cut, a director's cut, if you will, uh, that was released probably about two years later. I don't remember how far apart they were released. We will talk about it a little bit more, but this is one of the moments that does show the terror that people have of Batman to kind of have that contrast between this god that is being worshipped of Superman, although that's changed later, versus this haunting, terrorizing presence that is Batman. And I I think, and, and maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll disagree, but Batman to start the movie, is almost the villain. He's the bad guy to start the movie out because Superman has come along as this godlike white knight presence and has shown that we don't need vigilantism because we have someone like Superman. Yeah, which again, I mean, this will be intertwined throughout the episode, but that aspect of Batman is so much of what drives then Superman to want to confront Batman. So Batman wants to confront Superman because he's he's angry at him for being this all-powerful being that doesn't seem, at least to, in Batman's eyes, to care about humanity and innocent people, whereas Batman doesn't care about criminals. I mean, Batman, as much as uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger kind of after now the first couple of years Batman did shoot people and did carry a gun but then they completely changed it and they wrote in to the story that Batman did not kill because it worked for his origin that was when they gave him the origin of um his parents being, being murdered, murdered which was not in the original detective comics that he appeared in it came later and it it made it so that Batman had this no killing mantra that he lived by whatever you want to say this movie throws that far out the window he's a straight up murderer <laughs> and then the people the the people he doesn't kill he brands <laughs> it's just so that don't ever forget you're running with the bat yeah all right so that's batman again this is a batman movie um as much as it is batman v superman it is a batman movie um, but of course, we do have our second, which is Superman, as we mentioned earlier, played by Henry Cavill. Funny enough, uh, I looked up this trivia. He only has 42 lines of dialogue in the entire movie. That was surprising to see uh, and and looking and over my notes and stuff, because I feel like he talked a lot in the movie, but I guess 42 lines is 42 lines. Yeah, I mean, it could be some of those lines could have been longer lines, but uh, yeah, it is 42 lines. As much of a Superman fan as I am, and I am not that against Henry Cavill as Superman, as we talked about with Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck is a great Bruce Wayne, not a great Batman. Henry Cavill is the complete opposite. He's a good Superman. He is a horrible Clark Kent. He embodies Superman so well that I can almost overlook the Clark Kent aspect, um, except for a couple times in the movie. So the bathtub scene. He comes home to Lois and she's torn up about, you know, the Africa incident. And he, I don't know, man, he's all, he, it's like he read a book about how to be a human and he's trying to pretend to do that, crawling into the bathtub with her with all his clothes on. And 
I, I, he doesn't work for me as Clark Kent, but again, he's so good as Superman, I can almost overlook it. Yeah. Now, he's very stiff as Clark Kent, and, you know, that's a good way to put it, that it's like he's he's emphasizing too much the fact that he's not human mm-hmm. and that he's trying to be human, although it, that would have been fine if this was, you know, teenage Clark Kent, if this was maybe even 20-year-old Clark Kent. But this is a Clark Kent who's been around for a while. He's He's been on Earth since he was a baby, a toddler. And so he should know how to act human. He, um, he doesn't even emote humanly, much less move humanly. No. Which, which is another problem that in this movie, more so than it was in Man of Steel, in this movie and mainly in the theatrical version, there's a little bit more of it in the extended version, his Superman... Really, it it kind of emphasizes what Batman believes. His Superman doesn't look like he cares. He is morose at points in time, just about having to be Superman. Yeah, one of those moments is the explosion in the Senate when he's on trial. Uh, the explosion happens. Of course, Superman survives it, and we get a shot of him standing there with all of the you know fire and debris going on, and we get a close up of his face. And I honestly looked at that face and I went, well, that just kind of looked like a, well, dang it. Kind of. Huh. I, I think about the uh, the it, Geico commercial with the guy in the dollar bill. It should have been, been quicker than that. Like, that's how I feel like he thinks. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, e- even though that he should have been devastated. Um, you know, the fact that all of these people that were just innocent lives, that they were all just lost uh, for no reason other than Lex to try to show that Superman is a horrible person. And it works. It even works for the audience. I um, I think back to, again, the bathtub scene. And right before he displaces every bit of water in that tub, he tells Lois, I don't care what they think. I don't care. And I'm thinking, since when does Superman not care about what humanity thinks of him? Yeah. So it just, I, I, I don't know if that's the writing, if that's somebody else pushing, here's what we need him to be in the beginning, but it, it doesn't work as far as the cohesiveness of the storyline in some parts. So we do have our big villain, uh, for, well, I guess you would say big villain. Big is relative, there, there are relative th- term. <laughs> yeah, because they're technically, if you want to argue, there are three villains in this movie. Um, two of them are actually active. The third one is more, you find out, is controlling everything, although that's not truly revealed in this version. It is more so in the Ultimate Edition, but again, we'll get into all that Check later. Check out the extended uh, But this, of course, is Lex Luthor, the main villain for Superman from the comics. Uh, last seen on screen in Superman 4, uh, played by Gene Hackman in his iconic portrayal of the character in the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. In this movie, they, for some reason, cast Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I, I don't have anything smart or, or quippy to say here because it's just bad casting. Probably one of the worst castings horrible casting. yeah, of any superhero movie. I remember when the talks of redoing Superman was coming up and there was a lot of talk. And I know this had to do with his performance in Breaking Bad, but about Brian Cranston playing Lex Luthor. And at the time when I heard that, I don't think you could have casted a better Lex Luthor. He would have been so good, dude. As Heisenberg, he is Lex Luthor playing as Heisenberg in Breaking Bad. 
Yeah, because that's the thing about Lex Luthor is that he is supposed to be this highly intelligent, but also this very smarmy businessman who knows that he is always going to get what he wants. And it is not until Superman comes into the picture that that starts to chip away at him, that things aren't working out for him, that he is not the ultimate human, even though Superman is not human, that Lex is no longer the superior being. And that's my point. I prefer my Lex Luthor as a plotting strategist who knows he's the smartest person in the room and never doubts himself. Um, This Lex is chaotic, for lack of a better term, a a ship tossing in the sea amidst a storm, saying random classical literature quotes and trying to give an allegory for everything, which is typical Zack Snyder. He is a master allegorist, uh, but it, it doesn't work for Lex. No, the red capes are coming. The red capes oh, are coming. Geez. Is makes me cringe when he says it. I hate the delivery of that line. The whole scene with him and Senator Finch in his house is cringeworthy. It's an awful scene, and one I could have done without. The granny's peach tea and the flipping the, I'm going to change one thing in this room. Uh, the, the devils are above us. Like, I was just like, man, I, let's skip this. Although I will say the Granny's Peach Tea sets up for a great reveal later. It does do for a good payoff. I didn't need that whole scene to do that yeah. one payoff for me. And though. Holly Hunter delivers that payoff really well. Um, she was terrified. So, yeah. Um, she was so, legitimately terrified. But I, But at the same time, nothing's established to tell you why. Why? Like, why Why would anyone be scared of this little guy, you know, this Lex Luthor? He honestly, and it's funny that it was Jesse Eisenberg, it was honestly like, what if Mark Zuckerberg just decided to be an evil mastermind? <laughs> they saw him in Social Network, you know, like, we want him to play the same person except evil. Yeah. Well, more evil than he already was in yes. the Social Network. And yeah, some people would argue Mark Zuckerberg already is evil. Again, another time and place for that. <laughs> All right, and then, um, of course, this the best part of this movie, not even mentioned in the name, is the third of our trinity, Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot, however you pronounce her, her name, giving us Wonder Woman. The hairs all over my body out of tension when she first pops on. I know it's a little later in the movie. When she first pops up with her arms crossed and the bracelets and shooting back at Doomsday, oh, the best scene of the movie. Yeah, of course, we're introduced very early to know that she's going to be in the movie because Bruce Wayne sees her at a party um, as Diana Prince. Um, And so we already know she's there. But yeah, she shows up as Wonder Woman later. And this is this is the first time Wonder Woman has ever been on the big screen. Uh, Not the first time she's been live action. Linda Carter famously played her on television Mm -hmm. back in the 70s. Um, But this is the first time Wonder Woman's been on television and... Gal has locked this character in. She, it almost, it's like Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. I don't know if you could have casted it any better than than how she plays the role. I have no issues. I have nothing to complain about with Gal playing Wonder Woman. I just don't. Yeah. No, she's great. Um, like you said, her entrance when she shows up to the fight against Doomsday, and then they even give her own, her own theme um, which hasn't uh, even been established for her yet because she hasn't had her own movie at this point. 
but they go ahead and establish this uh, leitmotif, this theme to go along with her. Although I did find it funny that we get this heroic, like you said, Doomsday shoots out some blasts from his eyes, and then all of a sudden we realize that the blasts were stopped by Wonder Woman and her gauntlets, and then we get this just superhero moment with the music. It is great, and then it just all of a sudden cuts to do some other random little shot, and it was just like, okay, well, they just squelch that fire of excitement. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a little of her like standing back up out of the crouch that she was in. But you're right, instead they cut to Superman flying in as a dime-sized mm-hmm. human in the background coming up. You could have taken a little more time to yeah. give her that screen time to set her up for her eventual film. It feels like she's just kind of wedged in there Oh, she's definitely, for the sake she of is, having her in there. Yeah, she, she is a victim of this movie, even though she is one of the best parts. Her character is just shoehorned in. Even the extended cut does not remedy that she is definitely just a footnote in this batman v superman battle and it was really you know again one of the downsides of this movie and there are many downsides but one of the primary downsides of this movie is that it was trying too hard to catch up to marvel and the avenger movies by going ahead and trying to introduce a bunch of characters into one movie at a time and wonder woman suffered from that uh, this, if you maybe just just focused on Batman being the new character in this one, maybe it could have worked a little bit better. But they wanted to go ahead and get, like I said, the DC Trinity together of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. They had the posters that were all ready with all three of them on it. Again, it is called Dawn of Justice, which is a nod to the fact that this would lead to Justice League, and they are the founding members of the Justice League. So we had to have them in before we get to Justice League. But it was just. And that's you talk about you talked about all these things that's Zack Snyder. That's Zack Snyder too. Just trying to cram right. way too much into too a much. movie. Yeah, it, it makes for some cool shots in the movie. The scene with all standing around, I thought she was with you, you know, and, and yeah. it makes for some cool moments. But it's just it's way too much. There would have been nothing wrong with following the Marvel formula and just doing individual movies. You'd have caught up eventually, and you wouldn't have the mess that unfortunately the DCU is kind of in right now. Yeah, Marvel did, what, five individual movies before we ever mm-hmm. got Avengers. And here we are, we get Man of Steel, and then we immediately start putting a bunch of people together in the second movie. I do want to say, and you kind of mentioned it a minute ago about Wonder Woman's theme, uh, Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL with the score on this, superb. Fa- like, just yeah. awesome, awesome superhero score. And not really good. We're not going to talk about Lois Lane. Um she she's got a part her part's much much more significant in the extended cut but she's a a small side character in this one so we won't mention her martha kent's in it but very small uh perry white's in it but it's very small so there's not really a lot of others but i do want to point out two characters that we are introduced to in this movie that are iconic (laughs) characters from the comics and they are both (laughs) killed in this movie and that is jimmy olsen and Mercy. Jimmy Olsen, for people who don't know, because it is not actually revealed in the theatrical cut, Jimmy Olsen is the photographer that is with Lois in the opening scene uh, when she is in Africa, and they find out that he's a CIA agent, which is an Elseworld thing from the comics. It, it, I was going to ask, because I wasn't familiar with that. Yeah, it has happened in the comics, but 
they never identify him in the theatrical version. They identify him in the extended cut. And if you do look up the credits, you do see the actor is playing Jimmy Olsen. So he is introduced and then killed. And then with Lex Luthor, we're introduced to Mercy, which is his uh, bodyguard. You know, very famous character, especially from the animated series. And she's introduced and then she's in the courtroom when Lex blows up the courtroom. So she is killed. So two iconic Superman characters introduced and immediately killed off in this movie. The movie's already packed out. Why not allow a couple others to hang around for a little while longer, at least? Yeah, especially when they're such, you know, they're they're not major characters, but we definitely would like to use them and like to see them as the story continues in whatever way, shape, or fashion. Yeah, And I realize we're talking about in the past, but uh, Jimmy Olsen at this point in time has his own comic book run. Like, he's got his own series. Well, so he he's, he's a big enough like of a character. Too. Yeah, he's a, he's a big enough of a character that you could have allowed the audiences to have a moment with him. Yeah. Alright, so let's get into the moving panels. We've already discussed this a little bit as we talked about the characters, but this is to talk about the movie as a whole and the storyline, uh, what does and does not connect, as well as just the movie as a whole, and how well does it work as a superhero story. Now, I have to start off, uh, and Blake, you are more than welcome to defend Batman, but I have to defend Superman. Superman is so put down in this movie um mm-hmm. he's not portrayed very well and the audience did not pick up on him well agreed so far but honestly if you really look at this story and i'm gonna admit it's more so in the extended version than the theatrical but if you kind of read between the lines in this movie this is still superman it is still the superman that we have known and loved it is a new superman we have to keep that in mind which i'll come to in a minute but the first thing is, is that Superman, as always, he's striving to do what he believes is the right thing to do. It's not always working out for him, but he is doing what he thinks is right. And that starts off in the party when he's there with Bruce Wayne and he's he's curious about what Bruce is up to. But then he immediately sees the news report about the event going down at the Day of the Dead in Mexico and he just immediately takes off. Because he he knows that that's the right thing to do right now. As much as he wants to know, he's suspicious about Bruce Wayne, wants to know more about what's going on there, he knows that that is the right thing to do. The same thing goes with his intention of going after Batman. is because he sees Batman as, and we, we mentioned earlier, the Batman's kind of portrayed a little bit as a villain. He sees Batman as an out-of-control vigilante. Uh, we talked about how he is just murdering people. He is terrorizing the citizens, even though that's more established in the extended cut. Extended cut. And then the fact that he's branding the criminals, um, which, of course, then Lex uses to show that the criminals branded by Batman are then being killed in prison. But Lex is the one setting that up. But it still establishes Superman's belief in he's got to do what is right. And he believes that what is right is to put a stop to the Gotham Bat. You'll find no argument from me about Superman still being Superman underneath everything that 
Zack Snyder has laid out for Superman to be in his version. He still wants to do the right thing at all times. He, he wants to protect the citizens of Metropolis and Gotham and of the world. He, he talks to, to, I think, Lois at one point in time about being a, a savior, so to speak, for the world. But his execution of said attempts at being Superman don't always go as planned for some reason. And again, you've said yeah. he's been here for a long time. He should be pretty decent at this at this point. Yeah, but again, and this is where the movie, this is what the movie tries to do. It's using the system against him, uh, mm -hmm. the system that he is trying to work under. Because again, he's, you know, Superman stands for truth and justice. And this movie still shows that. It just shows Lex using it against him. So again, he stands for truth. In Man of Steel, it starts with, you know, Zod's pretty much ultimatum. And Superman surrenders himself to the military, which we follow up in this one uh, with that connection and uh, General uh, Stanwyck. And mm -hmm. so we have all of that. We have where he f freely shows up in court to stand trial against the what ha what happened in Africa, that he has no problem doing that because he wants the truth to get out there. Of course, Lex manipulates everything to, to hide that. And even... This is more in the extended cut, him being a reporter. And in the extended cut, it shows a little bit more of Clark getting to be a reporter. What we really see in this movie, in the theatrical version, is that Clark is trying to do a story about the Batman, and Perry just wants him to do sports. And they kind of emphasize that he's, again, he's trying to find out more about Batman. He's trying to get to the truth. This does end up leading to Perry White saying, Clark, it's not 19, uh, 1938. A cool which moment, is, for sure. Yeah, which is a nod because that's when Superman was introduced in June of 1938 in Action Comics number one. But it also tells us that he is not the same Superman. Stop trying to compare him to Christopher Reeve's performances. Stop trying to compare him to George Reeve. Stop trying to compare him to the comic book. This is the movie... Yes, Zack Snyder version of Superman, but he is still Superman. And I think part of it, part of the problem is, is his Superman suffers from the the cutting room floor, so to speak. So much of it's taking out in the theatrical version that you lose sense of what he's doing, I guess, kind of behind the scenes. But <laughs> continuing my argument, the justice, and that's what this movie is all centered around. It's called Dawn of Justice. Superman has to be the symbol of justice because Batman clearly is not at this point in his career. He is clearly not standing for justice. And so he's standing for vengeance. M is Super for murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Superman is, is standing for justice. And the, the best line to kind of balance that is Superman is told when referring to Batman, a man like that, words don't stop him. You know what stops him? A fist. And even though Superman hears that, Superman, when he first encounters Batman, still tries to talk him down at first, saying things like, you know, you need to stop this and you need to, when next time that light goes off in the sky, don't, don't respond to it. to it. Yeah, don't go to it. And then it just immediately comes. And you know Superman heard him because Superman's got the super hearing. Superman hears everything he's saying under his <laughs> breath. But when Batman looks at him, and says, tell me, do you bleed? Superman just immediately goes, well, I guess we're go I'm going to have to punch it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a fist now. It's, yeah. it's going to take a fist. Yeah. It, it, that, and that, so 
how do you feel about that particular line? Because that was one of the things I wanted to ask from Batman to Superman, that line. Is that too over the top to you? Were you okay with that line in the movie? Did it work for the plot? I, I'm, again, for this Batman, it works. Okay. Because, again, I think it does establish that contrasting style of where Superman does want truth and justice. He does want to find, as I have always argued about Superman, he wants to find the good in people. And then this Batman is just so bitter and so angry that his immediate reaction is, I want to know if you bleed. Yeah, I, I want to. Yeah. I want to fight. When he again, whispers, when he whispers, "You will." I wanted yeah. Superman to like come back down and be like, "Excuse me." Yeah, that's sorry, what, what I was that? saying. And yeah, that's Batman what I was saying about. You uh, know no, he no, heard no, him. Nothing. Sorry. <laughs> but but again, that's the greatness of Superman. You know he heard him. He just chose right. to ignore it. He's like, "No, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you calm down a little bit before we we talk again." Simmer, simmer. Yeah, and. What we have to remember is that in this movie, this is a Batman movie. And so we are seeing Superman through Batman's eyes. Right. And we see Superman, their fr- both of their encounters, their first encounters. So when Bruce Wayne sees him fighting with Zod, we get that shot of Bruce Wayne looking up. And then when Superman confronts Batman, Superman is in the air. And so mm-hmm. Batman is looking up. And so he sees, and, it, and it's dark. It's always in a dark, gloomy setting, especially when Batman confronts Superman. And so he sees Superman as this dark god, and that just fuels Batman's paranoia, his frustration, his anger with all that has happened. It doesn't help with any of that. Now, the same thing happens with Lex and Superman, which I think is interesting. Because when Lex views Superman, he is typically looking up at Superman first. And so it kind of implies, again, that whole, you know, how Superman is being perceived by the different characters. So much to the point that, and a little later on, when he reveals that he's kidnapped Martha Kent and Superman drops to his knees, now you've had a switch in in the power yes. uh, of, of those two characters. And yeah. displayed by, again, Lex now looking down at Superman. Yeah, and I, I think, and then the same thing kind of even applies with Batman. You know, when Superman sacrifices himself at the end, which is something we can talk about a little later too. Oh, yeah. When Superman sacrifices himself at the end, it pretty much resets Batman's perspective. Before that, even, when Batman is about to stab him, he is now looking down on Superman, which means he is now... In the position of the god. Yeah, Superman's no longer a god at that point in time. Yeah, he is now in the position of the god. And when, you know, Superman says Martha, you all of a sudden Batman gets that realization of what he's doing. And so we get the twist there. We get the turn. And, and there's even now then the rise of Superman realizing that there now needs to be justice and that he has not been fighting for justice. And again, that's that dawn of justice. I think it's not just that this is the birth of the Justice League. I think it's Batman coming out of the dark. And of course, what follows the darkness? The dawn. And this is his dawn to justice. And that's why this movie then ends with Batman being the one who leads the charge of getting together the other superheroes. Yeah, he your argument in defense of Superman is is well received here. An excellent job in any court of law 
uh, and definitely here on moving panels to defend your boy Superman. I, I, I'm only going to say this for Batman. He is so bitter. And again, whether or not that's because of all the stuff that's happened that we don't really see, he's so bitter and, and so cynical and so concerned about something happening in his city. And you see callbacks to that with the Robin suit hanging in the Batcave. And he talks to Alfred about, you know, everyone good has turned bad, which I would assume is probably a reference to Harvey Dent turning to Two-Face at some point yeah. in time, among other characters. He's trying to squash this threat, this perceived threat, before it gets out of control. And he's doing it the best way he knows how in this universe, which is, again, murdering the person. Well, and again, that does tie into the comics. I mean, there's the famous storyline where the Justice League discover that Batman has files on all of them and how to stop each of them. Contingency plans, man. Uh, of course, this this did lead, the end of my argument did lead to the infamous, the part that everybody talked about when this movie came out, <laughs> and that was Martha. Why'd you say that name? This is, I mean, this is not out of the blue. This is from the comics. Uh, Superman's adoptive mom is Martha Kent. Bruce Wayne's Slade mom is Martha Wayne, so it is not just they just decided to name both of them Martha. They, it, it is a canon. Mm -hmm. It is from their origins. Their mom's name is Martha. It is not probably the best moment in the movie. It is not, even with an actor to the caliber of Ben Affleck, it is not performed very well. It is a very corny moment. I, I really just don't think Cavill and Affleck understood what the meaning of it was when they performed it. I was going to just say it's got something to do with the commitment to that scene. It doesn't feel like their understanding or lack of understanding allowed them to fully commit to this is what we're going to do. Or because so even Batman when he says when Superman says Martha save Martha. Batman starts looking around like Martha's going to walk in the door somewhere instead of looking at the person who he's talking to. So Batman's looking around for Martha to walk in at some point in time. He keeps shouting, yeah, why are you saying that name? Why are you saying that name? Instead of maybe mm -hmm. taking his foot off his throat for a second and asking, hey, yeah. you know, what's, what's going on with this Martha deal? Well, you know, that leads me to what I was talking earlier about in defense of Superman. You know, the, the whole fight starts with Superman trying to explain the situation. So why not just grab Batman for a second and be like, look, here's what's going on for just one quick second. Well, that, yeah, no, that is at fault on Superman. Cause I think it's after like the second or third time he, after a booby trap mm -hmm. and that he's trying to say something, he just flat out just pushes yeah. Batman. So no, I agree with that. But yeah, this moment, the, the moment just doesn't work. Now, Zack Snyder uh, at the time of this podcast, Zack Snyder has done a commentary um, it's not on a Blu-ray or anything. He released it just on the internet. He did a commentary for the movie, and he did confirm that what the meaning was, which once you hear it, you go back and watch it, and you realize this was the whole purpose of him saying Martha, that it was for Batman to realize that he has become the villain. And it was for Batman in that moment to realize he is no different than the man who murdered his parents. And like you said, it should have, could have worked if if done properly. And the only thing for yeah. me that saved that scene is Amy Adams coming in and giving me a very believable line of, it's his mother's name. It's his mother. Like she yeah. she saved the scene, uh, an almost unsavable scene. Yeah, and so Bruce at that moment 
flashbacks to that night. And then we, you know, we were reminded that Thomas utters the word Martha before he dies. And that's when Bruce realizes, oh, wow, you know, I'm no different than than this guy who murdered my parents. And the problem, though, was is that they took what is really a coincidence from the comics that the two main superheroes have a mother named Martha, and they tried to make it work into a story, and it just didn't. And it doesn't even more... Because if Snyder's purpose, which like I said, you do see that once you hear it. If Snyder's purpose was for Batman to realize, oh no, I'm the villain. I'm do I'm no better than the villains I go after. That is then washed away by the fact that he has straight up murdered people throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and then you go, okay, but now he realizes he's not the villain. Now, he, okay. Nope, he continues to murder people um, because he straight up kills the guy who's got Martha Kent. Uh, Alfred Alfred does make mention. He was like, I've been listening to the whole conversation. I bet Alfred's thinking, God, if I'd have known this, I'd have just mentioned his mother's name once a day and we could have avoided all this death in the yeah, city. Yeah, Master Bruce, what do you think uh, Martha would have thought about you? Don't forget Martha on your way out the door. Your morning breakfast yeah. with a cup of Martha. Of course, funny enough, I'm sitting there watching like when he's killing all the guys when he's going at, to save Martha Kent I'm going do any of these people have a family member named Martha because <laughs> shouted out Martha 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 it's like saying Martha, it's like, Martha. it's like parlay in pirate code Martha please don't but that is so you talk yeah. about the fight scene though for me and my money that's the best Batman fight scene on film up to date of him in the warehouse yeah such a good fight scene brutal violent and yeah, he is killing everybody after he decided not to kill everybody. Uh, but yeah, yeah. the guys, it's the heat of the moment. What are you going to do? Uh, well, he, he's a, a uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was the but heat. It is what it is. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's, yeah. yeah, that again probably gets the most attention at being a bad part of this movie. I think it then, it casts a shadow over what I think is the worst part of this movie. Uh, here we go. And that's... Batman's Nightmare. Okay. okay. This, I remember seeing this in theaters, not realizing what was going on. Then all of a sudden, when you realize it's a nightmare, then you don't have enough time to process it before you another weird thing happens. And then after that weird thing happens, you're just sitting there going, what did I just watch? <laughs> it's poorly executed, like the Martha scene, because you see him at the computer and he's still awake when it cuts to the dream sequence. You don't ever see him nod yeah, off. It's like a bad Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah, I, I do, though. Okay, so you don't like it. I get that, and I get why you don't like it. But if it was done correctly, I want a, a Nightmare Batman movie. I want a web series. I want a cartoon. Uh, two novelizations of that particular universe. Like, I want that. That is an you, awesome You almost already have it in yeah. the Injustice video game and uh, okay. comic book. You're right. Um, where Superman does become it's, the villain. I mean, we've we've seen it even yeah. in some cartoons. You know, they they've done the the Ultra Lord storyline in Justice mm -hmm. League and and all that. Now, albeit in the, the those Batman's also evil, but you know we have seen this before. But my problem was not with him having a nightmare about Superman becoming evil. That made sense. What didn't mm -hmm. make sense was the stuff connecting to Darkseid. Right. Like, okay. if this is a nightmare, how does Batman know about Darkseid? 
How does he know what parademons are? Like, where is that coming from? And it's, again, it's in the execution. It's not explained. It's poorly done. Um, and it, fortunately for me, it's just a cool scene. If you put that scene in a vacuum, such a cool scene within, within again, a vacuum setting, but not very well done. And then what comes after it, Laramie, with the flash stuff, man, uh, that's not that's not good at all in any way, shape, or no. form. And so that's the, that's the next thing I do want to mention again, really quick about his night, the first the original nightmare, is that have you ever? I don't know if I've ever. Have you ever been knocked out in your own nightmare in your own dream? Actually, I have not, Laramie. So, <laughs> so let's keep it on. Batman is knocked out. He's knocked unconscious within his own nightmare. I'm actually um, an excellent crime fighter in my dreams. Just FYI for yeah. everybody. So then he wakes up. And he wakes up, and there's something going on. This portal opens, and who we... And again, this is another thing that the average you know, moviegoer had no idea what was happening right here. We get the Flash, and again, only people who would know would know it's a Flash. But even me, it. I remember the first time I saw this in theaters. I just had to stare at him for a minute going, is that supposed to be the Flash? I thought maybe it was the crimson chin from the Fairly Odd Parents. To be honest with you, I didn't know what to think because he's got on this suit that looks like he's pretty much wearing some sort of armor. There, even right as he leaves, it looks like it closes down over his face. And I don't was know what Iron was Man? up. Yeah, I don't know what was up with the facial hair. Ezra Miller just apparently decided not to shave when he came into film. It's not good. So I didn't know what was going on there. But yeah. And then, of course, then we find out that was a dream, which, again, goes to my argument. If that was a dream, how does he know who the Flash is? Because at this point, he has not opened those files. And even if he had opened those files, he hadn't seen Barry Allen in any type of costume. That was just, it was so confusing. And even... Uh, Ezra Miller's lines as the Flash, where he's like, "It's it's Lois. Am, am I too soon? I'm too soon." I expected him to go. I'll be back in ten minutes after you open that stuff yeah. up, I, and it'll make sense. Hold on. Yeah, and there's a lot of that that doesn't make sense. You know him, him even saying, "You know, you were right. You were right about him the whole time." But yet, the yeah. end of this movie is supposed to show that he wasn't right about it was Superman. wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. what universe is the Flash coming from? Which leads me to, I need. A Flashpoint movie where Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a bad Batman, but that's for another time and place yeah. again. All right, so we, we've kind of tiptoed around this. We haven't really talked about if if there, in fact, are any comic book connections in this movie, and there are. So let's go ahead and knock those out. The most obvious, of course, would be Frank Miller's 1986 The Dark Knight Returns series. I mean, this is just straight the exact inspiration for this movie. Um, Batman's suit looks exactly like it does in The Dark Knight Returns. The implements that Batman goes to in the fight, using the sound waves to stop Superman in his tracks, using the exploding kryptonite arrow is straight from that. Even Superman surviving a nuclear explosion was a, wasn't part of the battle, but it was an aspect of the Dark Knight Returns storyline. So clearly that was the inspiration. Now, the big difference, of course, would be that in Frank Miller's adaptation, they are fighting for the sheer dislike of one another. And they are fighting because of the way they they fight against crime. I mean, Superman is pretty much told by the president. Yeah, he's a military you know, hey, implement at that point, yeah. Yes. 
hey, we've got to stop this Batman because he is just this rogue vigilante. And Batman, he 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 doesn't think of Superman as a villain, but he sees Superman as just being the lapdog of the government. Mm-hmm. And so that is why they fight each other in the comic. Whereas this movie, as we've already talked about, this movie just makes it a misunderstanding between the two. <laughs> just one, if we can talk for just a second before we start this, it can all be squashed. It is, as you said, a lot of the fight scene is almost spot on, scene for scene, straight out of the car. And it's it's one of my favorite. I'm not a huge Frank Miller fan, but it's one of my favorite runs um, as far as Batman stories go. Because it, it yeah, I'm gives... not either. Because Frank Miller clearly did not like Superman. No, he's he's not a Superman fan. I think he's even gone on record as saying he does not appreciate or or enjoy this knight in shining armor that Superman is, and wants a little grittiness to his heroes. And he makes that very clear in in the run. Um, but I, I love the fact that Zack Snyder has so many callbacks to that run because it is such a seminal story for Batman and Superman, but mostly Batman. Um, of course, the other big connection would be the Death of Superman storyline from uh, late December 92 into January 93, in which Superman had to fight the monster Doomsday. Uh, this was one that, again, as a Superman fan, I shrugged and shook my head at their portrayal of Doomsday. It, he didn't look like Doomsday. It wasn't the same Doomsday origin. This one, he's made, he's a clone-ish creature created from Zod and the blood of Lex. In the comics, it's not in the original storyline. He's not given any origin. He's just this unstoppable monster. Um, They later went back and kind of told his origin and that he was created on Krypton, though he is not Kryptonian, but he was created. They've they've given a couple other origin stories depending on the storyline and the writing. Of course, in the death of Superman, Superman doesn't get any well, initially he gets help, but Doomsday's pretty much just taken out every superhero in existence in the DC universe. And it's just Doomsday and Superman one-on-one at the end. Of course, the other big difference is the final blow, whereas this one he has to get the kryptonite spear and they both stab each other. In the the comic, it's this very heroic Superman just gives his all and it's one final punch uh uppercut that ultimately kills both of them doomsday from the punch and then superman just from you know he's spent he is just exhaustion yeah bit of energy that he has and so so, well you before you go any further you kind of mention it and i wanted to ask because i'm not as familiar with the superman comics as i am with the batman stuff but doomsday looked like a a a glorified lord of the rings orc in this and that that's not how he is in the comics so my my question was were you okay with this creation story for Doomsday, or would you have rather him just shown up in this movie? I was fine. I, I'm not going to argue the creation. I'm not going to argue that in order to get to Doomsday, they did this thing with the body of Zod and the blood of Lex and okay. uh, him being in the primordial ooze that is in the Kryptonian ship. I'm not against that. But no, the look... Yeah, he looked horrible. He looked like this... Like you said, yeah, the... Lord of the Rings kind of org or the, I mean, he looked like he he, he had this baby quality. <laughs> I was going to say, he looked like a, a, a baby chameleon, maybe, or a gecko. Yeah. And they do try after the nuclear explosion when he 
recovers from it. They do try to make him look more like the comic character, and they have the bones come out, but it still just did not look like Doomsday. Which led to a lot of people when the trailers came out. I remember when he was first revealed, I think it was like the second or third trailer, they actually show him. And people were like, wait, is that who's that? So he's not immediately identified as Doomsday. Some people actually thought he was going to be like their version of Bizarro. Yeah. And there is kind of precedent to that because in the comic books, there is an, an origin of Bizarro where he is Lex trying to clone Superman. You know, that kind of plays into the whole using General Zod's body and attempting to create their own super being. So that kind of worked. The other thing was the laser vision that Doomsday had, which we mentioned earlier with Wonder Woman. That was Wonder Woman's intro. I am not 100% on this, but I am pretty sure Doomsday never used heat vision in any way, shape, or form. As much as he is pretty much Superman's equal, he doesn't have all of Superman's powers. You know, he can't fly. He can jump long distances and whatnot, which they do show in this. But he's never had the laser uh, heat vision. But again, if this was maybe Bizarro, you could argue. So I don't know. I, I had a problem with the execution of the character. I, I didn't have a problem with the way they introduced him. I do agree, like we talked about earlier, with Snyder just trying to do too much. It's too early to have already introduced the death of Superman. Especially when you knew that this movie was leading into Justice League, so you knew Superman was not going to stay dead for long. It's going to come back. My my thought was, could Wonder Woman not have done the spear stabbing? Oh, like, yes. did, Would Superman have to do that? He had yeah, another so, metahuman, so to speak, already there to help out. Yeah, so I had two problems with the with the spear thing. Was one, yes. I mean, what what would have stopped Wonder Woman from doing the spear the exact same way Superman did? Two, what could have stopped him him or Wonder Woman from just throwing it like a javelin? <laughs> I mean, I guess Superman because it was weakening him since it was kryptonite. But but yeah, same argument. I mean, why not? Wonder so, Woman yeah, could have I, thrown that from a quarter mile out and hit him and killed him. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I did have a problem with, with that as well. So, it was what it was. Um, again, I think we keep reiterating the same thing. This movie had a lot of great elements, had a lot of great moments to the story. It was just the execution did not work. Yeah. I think had they included just a little bit more even of some of the extended Ultimate Edition cut, the story would have made more sense and audiences would have gotten a little more. But it just, which, yeah, since they didn't, yeah. it didn't work. Which does lead me into the final segment we're going to talk about, and that is the extended cut. When you purchase this movie now on Blu-ray, more than likely you're going to get the extended cut with it. And the extended cut, it is a mere 30 minutes longer. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's only 30 minute difference. Some scenes are different that were originally there, but there's an alternate version of the scene. But it is 30 minutes longer. That does push this just slightly over the three-hour mark. But it significantly makes this a better movie. And it starts with, as you've heard us mention in this episode, it starts with the African incident. The event that kicks off the movie with uh, Lois and Superman. In the extended cut, we see more about how the villagers were executed. Um... Whereas in the movie, it's they were all shot, and then yet we're supposed to think that Superman's to blame 
Yeah, you're left wondering, um, how does Superman get blamed for shootings? Yeah, because even Lois is asking the military about this bullet that is the special bullet. And you're just going, so wait, how? why is Superman being blamed for this? Well, in the extended cut, we actually see that, you know, like we see at the end with Martha Kent, they've got flamethrowers. And they actually burn everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's to look like Superman killed them all with his heat vision. And that's exactly what's supposed to lead it. Then we get the interview that we see from a character uh, named Ziri, who is being interviewed by the incident. She's the one that claims that, you know, Superman killed everybody and whatnot. We find out in the extended cut that she was paid by Lex Luthor to say that. And then when she decides that it was the wrong thing to do and she just decides to come forward and she's decided to testify against Lex in that Senate trial, she's killed. We don't see any of that in the movie. Yet that is so significant to the reasoning behind why Batman and Superman have to fight in this movie. Yeah, you leave that out and you miss a big chunk of of the reasoning, as you said. It's unfortunate whether it was done for time's sake. It's already a pretty long movie. Yeah, but you you miss uh, it's just it's some of the stuff that's in there is so important to have been cut out like that. Yeah, again, the Lex's whole motivation, Lex's storyline, the way Lex is manipulating everything, a lot of that is just taken out, and we don't quite know how we're getting from point A to point B in the theatrical version. Lois, as I alluded to earlier, Lois is a bigger part in this extended cut. We see her being a reporter. This movie just shows her trying to find out about the bullet. But in the extended cut, we see her discover Lex's involvement uh, with Africa, which makes her, you know, dig deeper. We see her enter Wally, the guy in the wheelchair. We see her enter his apartment and find out that he had just purchased groceries, which proves that he had no intention of killing himself, that, you know, his wheelchair was just booby-trapped. We get... Uh, a moment where Lois finds out that the wheelchair was lined with lead, which makes a huge difference in the scene where why didn't Superman detect it? Well, it's because he can't see through lead. And so there's all of that. And and with that being said, the extended cut also lets Superman be more super. You know, I kind of alluded to it when I was defending Superman, but it shows him as Clark Kent being a reporter. And he goes and he interviews the people in Gotham, and we find out how terrified the citizens of Gotham are about the Batman. And after the Senate bombing, we talked about how in the theatrical version, we just get that close-up on his face where he's just kind of like, oh, well, that happened. Whereas he should be upset, but in the extended cut, we actually see him rushing to the other floors to rescue people out of the building. He's going around pulling people people, out of the building. Yes. And he's bringing people to safety and he surveys the, the damage and the destruction. And that is when we finally get to see the guilt on his face that he knew that this in a way was his fault and there was nothing he could do about it. And that's so important because when we do see then him talk to Lois out on the balcony following this, the moment in the theatrical version makes it feel like he didn't care where when you add this scene in, it now makes that scene deliver as if he's being like, he, he very much cares. And and those 
those little parts, and you talk about the devil being in the details, that really is the case here. Because that thir- extra 30 minutes takes the movie to a, a different level for me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same thing at the end uh, after Superman's death. There is a little bit more. Nothing drastic happens, but we get a little bit more of the wake that's happening at the Kent farm with Lois and Perry White is there. We get. I'm a sucker a for bit... Amazing Grace on bagpipes. By the way, any movie yeah. that pumps in Amazing Grace on bagpipes, great funeral scene. Yeah, and we get a little bit more of the funeral at Metropolis with the big procession down the streets, just being lined with people, and we get a lot of close-ups of the people in Metropolis just showing how, you know, even though in this movie a lot of them had turned on him, on Superman, we get a lot more of that people realizing that he really was their savior, that he really was, you know, there to protect them and and all. And and it was it's just, just a few seconds of that even just made that so much more of a powerful ending. I am happy they at least included the scene where his statue was and it's spray painted or chalked on the ground. If you seek his monument, look around you, which really, I think, drives home that message of hope of like you are you are here to help each other. And so I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. And that's definitely I mean, that again, going to what I talked about with Batman reigniting his Mm -hmm. feel for justice, he also puts hope back in Batman. And that's mm-hmm. the conversation that Bruce and Diana have there at the end while they're and I love that they went to Clark's funeral. Right. That they weren't at Metropolis at Superman's funeral, that they went to Clark's funeral. I loved that aspect of it too. Um but continuing on with the the extended cut. The extended cut also as I mentioned earlier, there are three villains. We've got Lex Luthor, we've got Doomsday, but really the only sign we get of it is the nightmare and then some of Lex's sayings uh, later, especially when he's in prison, that there is Darkseid and, of course, his lackey Steppenwolf. Now, in the extended cut, when the SWAT team find Lex in the ship, there was a quick 5-10 seconds cut out that is in the extended cut that actually when they arrive, you see Steppenwolf standing in front of Lex. And then he kind of dissolves away, revealing it was just like a hologram of him. But Lex and Steppenwolf were apparently talking to each other right before that moment. And so it goes ahead and sets up, you know, there is Steppenwolf, there is Darkseid, there is more to this story than just Lex Luthor. But like we keep driving home, that five to ten seconds is just a, like a holy moment. You know, you see him standing there in front of Lex, and you're like, okay, this is what's coming. Yeah, and then it just continues at the end. There's the the great scene, which I have some questions about, too. When Lex is getting confronted by the guard and the warden, and he says the warden wants to speak to him, and then there's a flash of light, and then all of a sudden Batman's standing there, and I'm going, wait, what happened to the guard and the warden? Teleportation, obviously. Uh, But in that confrontation, that confrontation was a little different in the extended cut. Uh, In this one, we do find out that Lex actually got away quote-unquote, with facing trial because he pled insanity. Which is so believable used... for me. <laughs> no, and it also it also confirms what I talked about earlier about it's Lex using the system mm-hmm. to, to get what he wants, just like he used it against Superman to turn everybody against Superman. He's using the system now. 
Um, he, yeah, he definitely is insane, but he uses that to get away from, you know, you, you assume the death penalty or any type of other punishment. But then Batman comes back and says, well, I'm going to pull my strings, kind of alluding to the fact that he is Bruce Wayne as well as Batman. I'm going to pull my strings and I'm going to get you transferred to Gotham City and I'm going to get you put into Arkham Asylum. And I have a few quote unquote friends, friends. who are dying to meet you. Um, now, whether he's talking about some of the villains he's put in there or whether he's talking about, you know, maybe some guards that he's, he's going to have guards, for him. Pretty yeah. shady guards over there. <laughs> and then finally, the extended cut gives us Jon Stewart. Yes. All right. Yes. I love Green Lantern, Laramie. No, not that Jon Stewart. Uh, oh. So oh. so this is the Daily Show's Jon Stewart. Oh, um, that guy. Okay. Just like you see, there's a lot of other news personalities that kind of make cameos. Nancy Grace uh, is one of them. Which, to stop you John's... real quick, is, is a reference to the Dark Knight Returns run. There's a lot of talking heads, uh, yeah. news anchors in that. So just another cool yeah. tie-in. Sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah. it's just, no, it's the same thing. We see Jon Stewart on a television uh, talking about some of the events. I'm pretty sure this was cut because this movie came out at the... Like this movie came out, I think like two or three months after John Stewart left the Daily Show. Yeah, it is run, yeah, yeah, and so I think that's maybe why they they cut it out. But yeah, John Stewart did have a cameo in this, but ultimately the thirty minutes longer that this movie is, I think, is makes a huge difference. You talk about the being in the details. I I would have been fine sitting there for another thirty minutes Agreed. to have this version. Because this extended cut provides a foundation, provides a skeleton uh, structure that allows a lot of the plot to hold and to to make sense. Now, it doesn't fix Wonder Woman just being shoehorned into this movie. Unfortunately. It doesn't fix Lex just being weird, but it does help the reasoning, the justification for Superman for Batman, it doesn't change Batman. This is still the Batman movie. Nothing about Batman was really any different in the extended cut. It's really the Superman aspect of it. But yeah, just so much more of a better movie with the extended cut. And just as a little a little tease, a little looking to the future, this extra 30-minute extended cut gives me a little bit of hope for the Justice League Snyder cut coming up, man. Like, I'm hoping that an extra few minutes fixes that somewhat. And I do think that the release of this is what started the conversation got about, the ball rolling yeah yeah the snyder cut so at the time of this recording Zack snyder is reshooting justice league for a what is being said is going to be an hbo max miniseries mm-hmm. uh i think they said a six-part miniseries yeah. um in which they are going to redo justice league and give it the give it back to Zack snyder for him to do the movie he intended to do but Again, Fingers that's crossed, a, everybody. Yeah, that's another movie, and we'll have to wait and see how that all turns out. But find the extended cut of Batman vs. Superman, if you can. If you can get to it some way, somehow, watch it. It makes a huge difference. All right, so this leads us to our final decision, and that here on Moving Panels is what we call bag it, stack it, or trade it. When we're talking about comic books, bag it means it's a keeper. You're going to seal it up, add it to your collection, you're going to cherish it. Stack it means you're just going to toss it into a pile. You'll enjoy it from time to time. You'll you'll want to share it with other people, but it's not going to be a, a on the top of your list. And then trade it means you'd just rather watch something else. So bag it, stack it, or trade it. Blake, what do you say? 
I'm going to give you two answers here, because if we're just talking about the theatrical release, I'm just going to stack it. It It's not even the theatrical release. I don't even own a hard copy of. I have it on digital. I watch it every now and then. If we're talking about the extended cut, I'm bagging that thing up, locking it away up tight where the sun's not going to get to it because it's it's an excellent film with the extended cut for me and my eyes. But we're talking about the theatrical cut. I'm just going to stack it. I might watch it, come back to it every now and then, but it's just not something that's worth sealing up. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm also, for the theatrical version, I'm going to stack it. Uh, it's not great, but I do enjoy it. I have watched it multiple times. Uh, I think, as I've kind of alluded to throughout this episode, I think it's great because it is the first time we've had the Trinity together. Such a you cool know, thing. Seeing Batman, Superman, not only the two of them for the first time on screen, uh, live action, but then to be added with Wonder Woman, you know, that that's what makes it truly a baggage for me. I actually... I'm going to say that even the extended cut is going, I mean, excuse me, a stack it. Uh, but yeah. I'm going to say that even the extended cut is a stack it. I mean, it, okay. it gets closer to bag it, but I just don't think that there is enough of a change to make it a movie that I agree. See the extended cut, but I'm still not going to be, Oh, you know, if you see the extended cut, it's a much better movie. It's not a much better movie. It's just a better movie. Okay. By seeing the extended cut, I uh, I hear you, I understand you, and I appreciate your stance on that. <laughs> All right, Blake. Well, uh, any last words? Anything you want to say to wrap up our Batman versus Superman? Um, I was just excited to rewatch it again, and like we talked about, it's it's not a super awesome movie, but for a quote unquote fanboy of getting to see that Trinity on the screen together, it, it's a must watch at least once. I hope that everybody out there can find the Ultimate Edition and check it out if they have the time. And uh, I hope that if you have the time, I get to come back and we can do this again. Uh, definitely going to have you back. Um, this is, it's always fun having you on there uh, because with me being a Superman fan, you being a Batman fan, it does provide that contrast there. But uh, I'm sure I'll have you on for other movies, including Marvel ones and, and the like. I'll, uh, I'll mark it down right now. So it is written, so it shall be done. All right, Blake. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. For Moving Panels, I'm Larry Wells, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Bethany said hi. I, I thought she said hi, but I wasn't sure. Hey, Bethany. <laughs> I know she's cracking. <laughs> <laughs>